So Jonah chapter 4, verse 1 through 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Every Sunday, we are blessed by the ministry of our musicians here at Hope. It's a joy to be led in the worship of God through their gifts and through their abilities that they share with us. Last Sunday after church, I was approached by one of our guests, and she told me something that I frequently hear from the guests in our church. She told me I loved the music. Singing to God with the aid of gifted musicians brings us joy. Now, the reason our musicians are leading us in worship is not so that they might win our applause. That's not their purpose. They want our hearts to worship God not them. But there are certainly times when it is appropriate for us to applaud the talents of musicians. Think, for example, about a concert setting. Musicians lead an audience in a night of beautiful music, and how do audiences typically respond at the end of the concert? Many times, the audience gives to the musician or musicians a standing ovation. They ask for an encore. But I want you to imagine this morning, what would happen if an audience gave to a musician a standing ovation, but the musician then got really, really angry? The musician stalked off the stage in a fit of rage. What would you think if you were part of a concert like that? You would probably think, this is the most bizarre concert that I've ever been to. What kind of a musician gets angry about a standing ovation for their talents? In Jonah chapter 4, we see that Jonah has the same response to success as this hypothetical musician. He gets really, really angry. God had sent Jonah as his prophet on a mission impossible assignment. Jonah was to preach to the wicked city of Nineveh to get the people there to turn away from their sin and from their evil. And the entire city repents. It is not just a few people in Nineveh who stop sinning. We see in Jonah chapter 3 that the whole city commits itself to live righteously and without violence. So how would you think Jonah chapter 4 would begin? Something like this. And Jonah rejoiced over what God had done in bringing repentance to Nineveh and saving the lives of so many people. He rejoiced over how God had used him and his ministry. But that is not how Jonah chapter 4 begins. Instead, we read in Jonah 4 and verse 1, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Jonah was angry with God. He was angry that God had forgiven the wicked people of Nineveh. 
But in Jonah chapter 4 and verse 4, God asks Jonah, do you do well to be angry? Jonah, do you have the right to be angry with me? The obvious answer is no. None of us have the right to be angry with God. And yet we do get angry with God at times. And so let's look at Jonah's example this morning and see some times when we do get angry with God so that we can stop this negative behavior. First of all, you get angry with God when you can only see yourself. We understand Jonah's anger better when we read his prayer in Jonah 4 and verse 2. There Jonah prays, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So what is Jonah really praying here? He is saying, God, I knew you would forgive those losers. That's why I didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place. I tried to go to the other side of the world, to Tarshish, to get away from you. But you wouldn't let me. You forced me to go to Nineveh so that I could preach to these evil people. And then they went ahead and repented of their sin. And so you forgave them like I knew you would. God, you are so weak. Why couldn't you be tougher? Why couldn't you be more like me? You really shouldn't be so easy on evil people and forgive them. That was the angry prayer that Jonah prayed. It was a prayer that was full of Jonah and not so full of God. We can better see the the selfishness of Jonah in chapter 4 by comparing his prayer there to his prayer in chapter 2. In chapter 2, Jonah desperately prayed to God to save his life after he had been thrown overboard into the ocean. Jonah prayed in Jonah chapter 2 and verse 1, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. God saved Jonah's life at that time. He spared him from drowning. And so at the end of his prayer in Jonah 2 and verse 9, Jonah had prayed, Salvation belongs to the Lord. When Jonah's life was saved by God, he rejoiced. But what happened when over 100,000 people from the great city of Nineveh repented and had their lives saved by God? What was Jonah's response? He was angry. Can you see the selfishness in these prayers? You also notice the selfishness in Jonah when you compare and contrast Jonah's attitude with God's attitude. What happens to God's anger toward the Ninevites when they repent of their sin? We read in Jonah 3 and verse 9 that God relents of his fierce anger. God rejoices to forgive these people. God delights to show forgiveness. But what happens to Jonah's anger 
When Nineveh repents, his anger turns into a five-alarm fire. He does not rejoice that the citizens of Nineveh were saved. Jonah could only rejoice when he was saved. Most of you know that my wife, Wendy, has been fighting cancer for over two years now. And we are very grateful for all of your prayers on her behalf. We are grateful for your prayers for her healing. I know that God has heard your prayers. I believe that one of the reasons why Wendy is alive today is because you are praying for her. Sometimes, though, people will say something to Wendy after they tell her that they are praying for her. They will say, if anyone deserves to be healed by God, it's, it's you. You are such a wonderful person. Now, when someone tells you that they are praying for your healing, the polite response is just to say thank you. It's not to correct their theology. So Wendy doesn't do that. But I'm a pastor, and that's my job. I correct bad theology. So let me talk about this kind of theology, about what we as people deserve from God. What percentage of people on this earth are going to die? What percent is that? Last time I checked, that's pretty well right on 100%. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 that the wages of sin is death. What we earn, what we deserve for our sin is to die. We all then deserve to die because we all rebel against God. We all sin. That is the bad news regarding our sin and rebellion. But the good news of the gospel that we celebrate here every Sunday is this. There is grace available from God. Grace that is undeserved and completely unearned. It is this grace which gives us the gift of resurrection and eternal life with Jesus Christ if we repent of our sin and place our faith in him and him alone. And it is this grace also that sometimes answers our prayers and extends the lives of sick people that we love very much. So does anyone then deserve to have their life extended here on earth when they get sick? Does anyone deserve that? No. But sometimes, by God's grace, people are healed and God extends their lives. If you think that someone deserves healing, how are you going to feel toward God if they do not get the healing that you pray for? How are you going to feel? Angry. They deserve to be healed. That's how people sometimes feel when family members or friends do not get the healing that they want. But I don't think that we have the right to be angry with God. I think the better way to feel is grateful. Grateful for every day that God gave to you with the people that you love so much. The grateful person is the one who rejoices in God. It's the selfish person who thinks about all that they deserve who gets 
angry with God. So let's look again at Jonah's prayer in verse 2. I said before that it was a a prayer that was full of Jonah and not so full of God. It's a, a selfish prayer that is angry with God. But in another sense, this this prayer actually is full of God. It is full of theology from Exodus chapter 34 and verses 6 and 7. So I'd like for us to read these verses together out loud. They're lengthy verses, but they're important verses in the whole Old Testament. So let's read together from Exodus 34. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, giving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation." These are two of the most important verses in the whole Old Testament. And these two verses tell us who our God is. And we see two of the primary attributes of God in these verses. God is first a God of mercy, and second, God is a God of justice. But when Jonah prays in Jonah chapter 4 and verse 2, which attributes of God does Jonah leave out his mercy or his justice. What does he leave out? His justice. He does not believe that God is just. Jonah believes instead that God is 100% pure mercy. That's all that God is. He believes the same thing that many people today believe about God. That God is simply a God of love who overlooks all evil and sin in this world and never makes a judgment on evil. That's what many people today believe God is like. But is that true? No. God is a God of mercy and justice. He is both and. He is not just one or the other. Unfortunately, then, Jonah had read the Bible selectively. He had read and believed the parts of the Bible that confirmed to him that God was not a very good God. God was not good, Jonah thought, because God was not just. In this way, Jonah made himself out to be better than God. And so Jonah's reading of the Bible did not bring Jonah any joy in his heart. Jonah's reading of the Bible made him angry. He was so angry that he said in Jonah 4 and verse 3, it is better for me to die than to live. Let me tell you, when you reach the point where you feel like you are more righteous than God, that's a problem. When you reach the point where you feel like you are definitely more righteous than all of the people around you, that is also a problem. You have become at that point self-righteous. Back in Jonah chapter 2, when Jonah was in the belly of the fish and he prayed, he seemed to understand his need for God's grace. But Jonah still had a lot of pride that he had to deal with. 
In Jonah 2 and verse 8, he prayed, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Now, who was it who worshipped idols? Was it the Jews like Jonah? Nope. It was all of those pagan Ninevites who worshipped idols. So those people did not deserve anything good from God. But Jonah, he, as a good Jew, he deserved God's grace. The people from Nineveh did not. Jonah then looked down on those people from Nineveh. Jonah then had not yet fully understood the grace of God. So how do you know? If you are like Jonah and have not yet grasped your own need for the mercy of God. If you say in your heart that I will obey you, God, if you give me that. Then what you are really saying is that whatever that is, is your real God. God is just a means to an end to that. As long as there is something that is more important than God in your heart, you will be like Jonah. For Jonah, Israel's national security was more important to Jonah than anything else. As a result, when Israel was threatened by the pagan people of Nineveh, Jonah became furious with God. Why didn't God protect his people Israel? who are so much more deserving of God's mercy and grace than the people of Nineveh. Jonah, you see, was still trusting in his own righteousness. He still believed, I do not need God's grace nearly as much as other people do. And so he was angry with God. He was angry because he could only see how much better he was than other people. He could not see himself for who he truly was, equally in need of the mercy and grace that all of us need. And so you get angry with God when all you can see is yourself. You also get angry with God when you worship an idol. We have seen what Jonah's idol was, his country and its national security. Now let me say right here that I think that patriotism is a very good thing. I think that we need more patriotic people in our country and not less. We have much in this country to be patriotic about. However, is it possible to become like Jonah with regard to your country? Is it possible for us to turn a rightful love for our country into a love that is greater even than your love for God. Yes. And when that happens, your country has turned into an idol for you. It was because Israel, the place that Jonah calls my country in verse 2, it was because Israel and its national security had become an idol for Jonah that Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. He instead wanted to run away from God's command and, and flee to Tarshish, according to verse 2. You see, Jonah knew without a doubt 
that the Assyrians who lived in the capital city of Nineveh were a threat to Israel. And in fact, Jonah was dead right about the Assyrians. When the nation of Israel was conquered in 722 BC, which nation was it that conquered the Israelites? Who was it? It was the Assyrians. They were the ones who came and crushed Israel. Jonah then was right to be afraid of them. And so Jonah prayed to God in verse 2, by God's covenant name that God had taught to Israel in Exodus chapter 3. He prayed to the Lord, to Yahweh, to the great I Am, who promised to be Israel's God. But now it seemed to Jonah like God was abandoning Israel to its enemies. And so Jonah was angry with God. He was so angry that God did not seem to be protecting the one thing that Jonah loved more than anything else in the world, Israel. I'd like to talk to you for a moment about anger. Sometimes it's right to be angry. When you are the victim of injustice, you should be angry. When you have been physically or sexually abused, you should be angry about how you have been treated. It is not right. And God hates what was done to you as much as you hate what was done to you. But sometimes our anger is not right. Sometimes anger is a sign that there's something wrong going on in your heart. Sometimes anger is a sign that we love an idol more than we love God. When the idol that we love gets threatened, whether that idol be money or a person or a reputation or some form of power or pleasure, the response is the response of Jonah. It is rage. So the next time that you are angry, ask yourself, what's going on here? Why am I so angry? Maybe you should be angry about an injustice done to you. But maybe the anger is a sign of an idol. Maybe it's a sign that you have been worshiping God not so much because you love God above everything else. You are worshiping God instead to get something from God. You are worshiping God then as a means to an end. But God is far greater than any means to an end. God is the end for which we have been created. He's the one who is greater than anything else. And so we are to worship God and enjoy God and delight in God for his own sake just for who he is, and not so much for what he can give to us. God is so much better than any idol. But anger is a sign that there is a possible idol that needs to be removed from your heart. It's a sign that God is not giving you what you really want. That was true for Jonah, and many times that is also true for us. I'd like to tell you another story as we close today about another person with cancer. 
A man with a wife and four young children was told by his doctor one day that he had cancer. The cancer was malignant and it was untreatable. This young man's friend called him up after his appointment to hear the news of how the appointment went. And after the young man shared his bad news with his friend, the young man said these remarkable words, nothing has changed. What did he mean by that? His life was about to end. His future plans, they were all gone. They were wiped out by this cancer. In a little over a year, his parents would lose their oldest son. His wife would become a widow. His four young children would be left without a father. And others would lose a dear friend. So how could he say that nothing had changed? What did he mean by that? Nothing had changed in these ways. Jesus still loved him. There was nothing still that could separate him from the love of Christ. Jesus was still on the throne of the universe, ruling over all things. Jesus would still provide for him and his family after he was gone. And Jesus' resurrection on Easter Sunday morning still meant that he had hope for his own resurrection from the dead someday. In these ways, for this young man, nothing had changed. One of the things that usually happens for people who get a terminal diagnosis is that they go through a stage of severe anger. When people prepare for their own death, many get angry with God. Because of what we have learned about idols today, I think our anger in the face of death has to do with the way that death exposes our idols. We have idols in our lives of control and power, idols of our plans, idols of a comfortable life, and idols of our dreams for our future. All of those idols come crashing to the ground as soon as we get the news that it's terminal. What is our response to that news? Anger. God, why aren't you protecting me and my idols? Our response to death is the same as Jonah's response to the death of his idol, of his country. Anger. But it doesn't have to be this way. It wasn't that way for the young man who faced his own death. It wasn't that way for him because Jesus was his God. Jesus was his love. Jesus was better for him than any idol possibly could be. And so when the young man died, he had a Bible verse placed on the top of his tombstone. It's the same as the Bible verse in the picture that I brought with me this morning. The verse says that in Christ, death is swallowed up in victory. Death would not have the last word. Jesus would. And Jesus would bring this young man home to heaven with him for all eternity. Church, Jesus is better than any idol that you might worship. 
Jesus is even better than the idol of self. So don't worship Jesus as a means to an end. If you worship Jesus as a means to an end, to get the idol that you really want out of life, eventually you will become very angry when Jesus lets that idol fall to the ground. Whatever you live for owns you. You do not really control yourself. Whatever you live for and love the most controls you. So live for Jesus. He's the one who loves you the most. He is the one who died for your sin on the cross when you were his enemy. And he is the one who will bring you to heaven one day if you trust in him and in his resurrection power. So trust in Christ. Love him. The worship of idols will lead to anger, but the worship of Jesus will lead to everlasting joy. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you are the one who brings us joy. We thank you that you are on the throne today. We thank you that no matter what is going on in our lives, nothing has truly changed. You are still a God of love. You are still a God who cares for us and all of our needs. And so we pray today that you would help us to deal with our anger Help us, O Lord, to live self-controlled lives, to trust in you, and to do what is right. In your name we pray. Amen.